Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the old doctor as he travels the vortex and arrive at episode number 344. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm pretty tired too, wiped out. Why are you guys so tired? We had a long week followed by a long weekend. And I'll be honest. For good reasons? Well, mostly. That's I good. don't remember most of what I did this week. I just know it was long. And I'm trying to get my new schedule trying to kind of wean myself off of the late nights so that I can prepare for going into work a lot earlier and that's not happening. My body's still like, oh, bout of insomnia at 4 a.m. I was like, curses. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then uh, we spent uh, a lot of time kind of preparing for this weekend, which uh, Dave and Glenn and I uh, and a bunch of other people uh, took part in the 48-hour film project through uh, uh, Kansas City and uh, shot a short film this weekend. How'd that go? Really well, surprisingly, yeah, remarkably well. Yeah, <laughs> it's. I, I know we've kind of mentioned it on the on the podcast before. With these, it's you 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 get your criteria seven o'clock Saturday night or Friday night, and then you have forty eight hours to write, shoot, edit, and turn in a completed short film, uh, which sounds fun and is. But it's also one of those things that usually about three o'clock in the afternoon Saturday that you're going, why did we choose? Why would anybody choose to do this? <laughs> this is madness. This is not a good idea. Um, but, uh, our criteria this time out, we had, um, you, you get this particular setup, uh, with the 48 hour film project is you get a character, a prop and a line of dialogue, and then you draw your genre out of a hat. And our, uh, character was either Alex or Alexis Brownstone, who was a waiter or waitress. The prop was a hat, not baseball. And then, uh line of dialogue was she'll be here she she should be here any minute and then uh, for genre we were uh, we drew either silent film or uh, suspense thriller Hmm. and us being us we kind of managed to do all of those criteria uh, including both genres we did a silent suspense thriller um which i mean you can have sound effects and music but no no dialogue and, that makes uh, scripting a little easier, doesn't it? It did, surprisingly. <laughs> hey, everybody heard their, learn- their lines learned by the time they got there. That's even better. That made shooting so much easier. <laughs> we didn't have to we didn't have to worry about inflection or give it to me one more time or, well, you kind of stumbled over that, and, yeah, it was just yeah. go. Um, but, yeah, we had uh, we had a very solid story knocked out Friday evening and um, got home about 2, and I had the script as it was, knocked out by 4, which I thought I was trucking. I really thought I was just, no, 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 this is going to be awesome, this is going to be great, I'm going to get to bed early, and then I looked at the clock, and it was 4.30. It's like, meh. Because <laughs> Friday night's my night not to sleep. Yeah. And then we got up, and uh, we didn't know if we had our location, which was kind of a big concern, and uh, they said, yeah, we could use it, but we had to be done by 3 or 5 or something. and So, 5. So we got over there, and... Uh, we didn't know we didn't have a lead actress until Saturday morning. Then she came on board and said, "Yeah, she would. Uh, she'd be thrilled to do it." So, all the pieces just kind of fell together, and the stars aligned, and we got everything done. And by the time, I think it was about four thirty, we had everything packed up. We were out of the location, and there were only two scenes, which amounted to maybe six shots, that had to be done left. Nice. And uh, so that was that was all day. And then, of course, the editing, which 
Saturday night's Dave's night not to sleep. <laughs> but uh, he got it down and turned in, and we've seen it, and I'm pretty pretty pleased with it overall. There's a couple. I can't wait to watch it. A couple little you know niggling things that you go, ah, I'd have done that differently, or oh, why did we do that, or oh, we forgot to do that. But considering you have 48 hours, the fact that it came together at all is just it never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. Not only on our end, but with other teams too. I still think the story is solid. I think it's a solid story. It's a good story. There was just some things in there that we looked back on and went, "Oh, wish we'd have done that differently." But <laughs> and, it, and it looks great. It really is a, a little things aside. It's a really nicely polished film that I'm happy with. So that's good. And then um, today we uh, we skipped out because since we had everything done. I had some free tickets to Schlitterbahn, so we. But today was kind of the last day to use them. So I was like, "Well, let's go to, let's go to the water park because I haven't been exhausted enough this week." So we <laughs> went and did that, and I got a little bit of sun, not too bad, but I can feel my head doing that tightening up bit. And then uh, I also had a free ticket to Alamo Draft House that they had sent me, um, that was going to expire. And today was the last day. Tomorrow's technically the last day to use it. It's like I'm not going anywhere near Kansas City the day of the eclipse. Are you nuts? Um, so uh, I thought, well, well, we'll just do that while we're down there. So we left the park a little early and went to Alamo and went and saw The Hitman's Bodyguard. Ooh, how was it? It is as much fun as you would think a movie that stars Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson would be. Hmm. So just just to go with that. And we came home and got shy and came here. <laughs> What'd we, you uh... do? What'd you do, Glenn? <laughs> <laughs> you took half of mine. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, now, besides the film festival this weekend, uh, I haven't done much. I've been reading... Uh, By the way, it was really good to have you on the film festival. It was fun to I do was, it again. I, I it missed was, you the last several. It was a lot of fun to do it again. Um, we need to get it, you on one. <laughs> again. All of the things that stressed me out so much that I gave up on it for a while were non-existent this time. So well, that's good. It was either nice that I took a break or this one was a lo- lot smoother. <laughs> I don't know which one. <laughs> I, I want to believe that this was much smoother because of what we had, but... Um, the only other thing I really that I can think of, I haven't really watched anything this week. Um, I did. Um, I, I started. Uh, I actually think I started a week and a half ago. But Peter Davison's autobiography uh, is "Their Life Outside the Box: An Actor Despairs," and I'm about halfway through it now. And oh, it's, wow. it is quite interesting. Very, very good, good book. Hmm. Um, kind of surprising because, and, and I think a lot of people know that he didn't sit down to write. A, he actually he sat down to write about his time in Doctor Who. And then it occurred to him that anybody that would read a book about his time in Doctor Who already know everything they need to know about his time in <laughs> Doctor Who. And he does talk a little bit about Doctor Who. He has a, a section of the book where he taught, I felt he went far too much into his family history, uh, meaning his father and his grandparents. And I, I appreciate why he does it because he sort of explains it in a way, but I think it got a little too long-winded. I felt like I got to a point where I was like, let's let's move on i want to know more about peter peter davison <laughs> enough about the family but other than that it's it's been a really interesting read so the film fest kept you from devouring all of the defenders already <laughs> oh i forgot about that I, I am halfway through defenders it's good in fact i stayed away from reviews but i saw one headline that said it's less than the sum of its superheroes to me that's it's not as good it's not very good is the way i'm reading it I may have read that headline wrong, but I stayed away from the article because I said, no, I don't want to know. If that is the general consensus, the general consensus is wrong because while I haven't seen the last three episodes yet, it is enjoyable. If anything else, the first two are kind of slow because they're set up, but once you get to episode three, it trucks right along and it's so good. 
But if anything else, it is beautifully shot. Mm. And the brilliance of it is, is when Jessica Jones is on the screen, there are these hues of purple in the background. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's very atmospheric in that sense. When Luke's on screen, it's kind of that orangish amber and, and gold look. When Danny's on screen, it's kind of a greenish hue. And when Matt's on screen, it's red. And wow. then so but it's it's very it's not it's not super noticeable and it took me a long time to notice it which is perfect because that's I, I yeah. love that I noticed yeah. it finally but it wasn't obvious right away. So then I'm looking for it because I'm like, oh, "Okay, this is really well done." Then when they finally come together, in the first scene they're all together, it's all white because they're in a certain building and I'm not going to give anything away, but they're in a building and the whole building's very stark white. And I thought, "That's interesting." Then when they regroup afterwards, they're in the Chinese kitchen, which is interesting because this is kind of the headquarters in, in, in the comics. They've kind of loosely tied it, which I thought was clever. As they pan around the table as they're having a discussion, as they pan around and you see Matt, there's red wash on the wall. And as they pan around and you see Randy, it <laughs> morphs into this orange wash or a, a green wash, kind of a greenish and yellow wash. And as they get around, to look, they've done the same thing there, but they meld so well together that it's not, again, it's subtle, but subtle enough to notice it. And I thought, this is brilliant. This is, and it's written so well. And I'm going on and on about this series that I'm not done yet. And it may be horrible at the end, but really, it's, it's, I'm really enjoying it. They've nailed all the characters still. So they all have those same traits. The things that bothered me about Danny in, in the uh, Iron Fist series are still there, but no longer bother me, which is impressive because they Mm -hmm. didn't change his core character, but they made me like him here they made they they i think they've stripped away some of the annoyances but kept the character there and so i was i'm really grateful for that so Hmm. what did you do keith uh not a whole lot this week we celebrated our anniversary in the most uh new parent way possible of going to dinner and then grocery shopping (laughs) (laughs) happy anniversary by the way thank you very much and other than that we uh finished season two of lost Ready to start season three, but before we do, we are... You really can stop right now. You really don't have to keep going. (laughs) Ah, season four is great. Is it four or five I like more? I can't remember. (laughs) So before before we start season three, we're watching the final season of Orphan Black, and we're halfway through that, which is pretty good so far. It's It's a little darker than previous seasons, and I can't tell if it's... The, the show has changed. I mean, I keep in mind that I didn't. I, I have paid almost zero attention to the earlier seasons because I was usually doing homework or missed it when when it was on. Uh, but I've just kind of peripherally watched it. It's really more. I think it's been kind of dark the entire Patrick's time. Patrick's thing, but this season seems really dark. But it may be because we don't have as much Donnie and uh, what's her name. That could be. Yeah, because they're really kind of the comic relief. Of the yeah. Thing, so I'm looking forward to seeing how it ends, considering. Uh, especially knowing that when they started the show, they didn't really have this overarching plan, and they kind of made it up as they went along. And they, they eventually got an idea of what they were doing, but I'm just kind of intrigued at how it's going to end. kind of hard to believe that's only five more episodes to go for us. That's all I did this week. Shall we move on to news? Let's. Our bit of news this week is they've added a last-minute guest to Time Eddie 3. Script editor Andrew Cartmel will be returning. Woohoo! This will be his second, right? Because he was there the first He's year. The first he year. was right. not there last year, and then he'll be returning this year. So that'll be fun. Especially with Sylvester McCoy there, it'll be really cool to see them talk together and hear what stories they can tell together. And once again, we will be there. So if you have not bought your tickets yet, you should buy your tickets. And photo ops are now available to purchase. 
for many of the uh, the, the guests. Which I suppose we should specify photo ops with us are free. Just come up and grab <laughs> us and say you want a picture. Yeah, Why absolutely. you would want a picture of the three of us, I don't know. <laughs> but if you want one, just come ask. We'll give you one. Well, yeah, they're absolutely free. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, though, you know, we do that, too. Never turn that down. That's right. We'll never turn that down. <laughs> we do accept chickens. No, we do not accept chickens. Only accept in the fried it. variety. We do not I will accept, accept the chicken. Chickens. No, we do not. In fried variety. We do not. This podcast in no way accepts chickens. I will accept chickens. The thoughts and opinions expressed <laughs> by Sean are not necessarily that of Trialing the Vortex. I really kind of want to go buy a whole bunch of chickens now and put them in Glenn's backyard. <laughs> like overnight. And just have him They won't up. be there by morning. I don't have a fence. <laughs> I'd, I'd leash them. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you got, to your new deck. You're going to leash the chickens? That's cruel. That's cruel and humane. They, they'd be almost free cruel. range. Almost free range. I guess it is better than a cage. Uh, uh, these, aren't, these aren't pinned. Well, are they free range? Not, Not exactly. exactly. <laughs> Let's just call them leashed. I just like the idea of you waking up, getting the kids ready, having a cup of coffee, looking out in the backyard, and there's chickens. <laughs> If you left a rooster, we'd have a wake-up call. <laughs> so, um, should we move on to feedback now, or do that's, we have more? Uh, that's news? all the all news right, I let's had. Move on to feedback. Our bit of feedback this week's comes from Robert. And Robert writes, "Odds and ends." Hello. Just wanted to drop you a line about a couple of things. First, I'm glad Red, White, and Who got a mention. I sent them some material about Who fandom in the Wichita area back in the day. I knew Stephen Hill back when he was part of the Chicago Who group, the Federation. They did quite a few fan videos. You can see some of the videos on their YouTube channel. And here's a link in case you need it for show notes, which Glenn will put in the show notes. Looking forward to seeing the book, although it might be a while before I can afford to buy the hardback. Next, I remember Sean expressing an interest in watching Babylon 5. Yes, I still have that interest. If you or any other listeners would like to watch it, it became available on the Go90 streaming service a few months ago. Go90 just has the series, not the pilot movie, the TNT movies, or the spin-off series Crusade. The service is free, and it's a good quality service. At the time, they also picked up a few other sci-fi series like Fringe and the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Hey, it's almost two months to time, Eddie. Really looking forward to it. Otherwise, it's all quiet around here. Keep up the good work. Robert. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Thanks, Robert. Robert. Good to hear from you. I'm looking forward to seeing you at Time Eddie. And I'm very excited that Babylon 5 is available somewhere. And free. And free, even better. Um, I'll add that to my list. <laughs> <laughs> the long list. The very, very long the list. The very, very long list. All right, should we move on to our reviews? Let's. What are we doing first? Orbis. All right. The doctor has fallen to his death. His companion, Lucy Miller, has returned to her life on Earth, grief-stricken. Then one night, an alien visitor arrives at her front door and shoots her. Could it be that Lucy's days with the Doctor are not over? She will only find the answer on the planet Orbis, a planet where all forms of life are facing violent extinction. Bum, bum, bum. I liked this one. This one was fun. Uh, following up the last two-parter, it did not quite reach the levels of of storytelling for me. But as a method to reunite the Doctor and Lucy, it was a good story for on that aspect. As a good way to get them back together and really enjoyable. A lot of fun to listen to. Glenn is giving me the evil eye, so I'm going to let him the go The evil first. eye? Well, the, you completely disagree with my bump, bump, bump. Well, I completely disagree with your bump, bump, bump. I didn't think I was giving you any sort of a high. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Um, I think 
part of it's because it it doesn't come anywhere even close to meeting the bar set by the last two stories, which were, to me, flawless and excellent. Um, I think this one, I can appreciate the attempt of doing something different, but it comes off too cartoony, comes off too too light. It almost feels like... um, it almost feels like a, I can't even know, I don't, I'm not even sure what kind of show to compare it to, but it's just, it almost, it, it's on the verge of silly with the, the mollusk uh, race and the jellyfish race and this galactic planet. I also think that the attempt to put kind of a old Western Shane spin on it, that's what it really feels like. The guy that stands behind tries to stand up for a town, almost yeah, a Magnificent Seven with one guy, you know, that kind of thing. It just that that didn't that didn't resonate with me with the type of supporting characters that we had around it. Not to mention the headhunters' motives were well ultimately made sense to me. There was a lot of bait and switch that I felt was unnecessary to get to where we got. And as a vehicle to reunite Lucy with the Doctor, I thought it fell down poorly. Especially because, and some people might have liked this, but especially because the doctor had been here 600 years and didn't remember it all, I didn't buy the whole resting synapses and had to jar his jar his memory because the doctor seems to remember things in longer stints of time than 600 years and doesn't seem to have a problem with it. And so it seemed kind of a, a contrivance to to do that so that you had that moment of, Lucy coming back and you know being excited to see him and couldn't believe he was there and then him going do I know you I mean that just that seemed really odd to me and and almost disappointing um and not very in line with the eighth doctor's character in fact there were parts Aside of this from the amnesia aspect well there's parts of this that made me that felt a lot like the divergent universe mm. in fact there were a lot of elements of this the mollusk creatures the jellyfish creatures that it was almost like we were in a divergent type world a divergent universe type world and there was just it was just little things like that that bothered me the whole through the whole thing the headhunter i'm getting quite bored with now she was very strong i felt as a continuing menace in the first two series i think she worked well um well, not even much in the second series, but she was really strong in the first series and a little bit at the beginning of the second series. Now I'm I'm kind of tired of her. I kind of feel like it's it's worn. It feels like one full year of the Master, <laughs> like we got in Pertwee's era, where I really kind of just felt like I, okay, we've had enough Master this series. Let's move along. I kind of felt that way. Now with the Hud Hunter, I was like, oh, we can put her on the shelf for another two series, and I'd be fine with that. The other thing that interested me, and this is, didn't lend to my disappointment of the story, but the beginning was almost a little offsetting because he didn't have nicholas briggs saying doctor oh. <laughs> who and I, I have to wonder if did bbc4 only run the first two series and once they maybe they stopped running the series so the big finish group decided they did no longer needed to record voice credits on the beginning and end of the story i don't know i, I can only imagine that maybe that only ran for two seasons on the radio and that's why we've gone back to the old big finish style of opening and closing the show so Anyway, that that's neither here nor there. It was it was initially released as a download on the website and later broadcast on BBC Radio Seven. So maybe we have the original download and we don't have the the recut for BBC Seven. Be. So anyway, 
that just was something that, that caught my attention because I'm used to having the Nicholas Briggs saying, you know, Doctor Who. And it's well, interesting and it because... Well, that it's also two episodes, whereas all the other ones, this length, yeah, they were, were one all episode. one single. One yeah, single. This one actually has a break in the middle. Yeah. I, I think it's also interesting that having been the, the, the Eighth Doctor Adventures were the first big finish I ever heard. When I went into a main range big finish, I was really disappointed that that intro <laughs> that wasn't, wasn't there. there yeah, yeah. Well, the only reason they did that for the Eighth Doctor Adventures was because it was on radio. Yep, and they did to introduce that. So. I still think it ought to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I just no. Nope. Uh, there's not a lot I could find good about this. The performances were good. I thought I felt Lucy was probably the best, the strongest performance. Um, Paul McGann did fine job, but it was this was very much in character for the Eighth Doctor in the style. But there was just things about the Eighth Doctor I didn't like. So I thought Paul McGann did fine, but I just didn't feel like it was a very strong story for him. Hmm. Sean, why do you like it so much? I liked the fact that, uh, first of all, we we get through this just emotionally gut-wrenching two-part finale for season two. And then end on a cliffhanger. And so I'm chomping at the bit to get into the next one. And, okay, where we go from here. And we don't go anywhere where I thought we could go. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I at first I was I, like I'm not I'm not sure, and then I just the more I listened to it the more I really liked it. I I thought it was brilliant to go in a different direction and kind of do something lighter, and yet not because for all of the almost pantomime running around with the the, the talking jellyfish and talking mollusks and 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 very nutty Doctor Who ideas that are you know these anthropomorphized creatures that are you're kind of characters caricatures of that you know extent that it's they're they're characters that you wind up caring for i I thought selta was was fantastic i really felt that there was this very burgeoning relationship between her and the doctor at least on her end and um then as, as the little dollops of the story came out that he's been there for 600 years that it's not just because he makes the comment about you guys are so short-lived you would think that a mayfly had a, a longer lifespan. It's like, okay, so they've got short lifespans, and that's why it seems like old doctor's been here. For, no, he's been there forever. It's like, oh, wow, okay. What does that do to somebody? He's still the doctor, but he's he's had such a limited... I mean, what if Pertwee's doctor was stranded on Earth for 600 years? What would that have done to him? And why is the eighth doctor okay with it? Is it because he's the eighth doctor, or is he just because he's kind of maybe accepted the fact that I've had a good run. This is this is it. I mean, there were all kinds of comp, uh, complications and uh, things to to think about with the way that was set up, and I just really really enjoyed it. I agree with you on the headhunter. I kind of thought after the two seasons that I was done with her, and her presence here really doesn't add anything to the story for me, unless you catch there's a, a scene at post credits. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody I caught that or not. Oh yeah, we'll always be <laughs> from now on, right? <laughs> Um, and so now it's kind of like, oh, okay. So there's there's a little bit more here to her reason for being. That so was, I, but that was another, right. that was another detriment for me because that solidified the case that the oh, continuation is going to be another continuing thread for this series. So. Um, but at least if she's going to come back, because I didn't think she I didn't think she needed to be here. I th- I think you can tell the story without her, quite honestly. But if you're going to write her in, at least there's a grand plan. It's not just a happenstance. Oh, well, we've got Katarina Olsen available, and uh, we can just write the character and, and you know do something with her. It's the, yes, there's a reason for her. I was like, okay, I'm willing to give him the, the, the play out to see what happens. Of course, I already know what's going to happen. Um, 
I thought, I agree, I think Lucy Miller was great. Sheridan just was phenomenal bringing this character back and her, her passion and her drive to to rescue the Doctor just really, really touched me. And I think Lucy is an interesting companion from the standpoint that she does things that I think if a television companion did them would annoy me, like her continual xenophobia. That she's just terrified of everything. <laughs> oh, centipede. Oh, jellyfish. And it's just kind of like, you've, you, you've done enough traveling. You should be over this by now. But for some reason with Lucy, it's still very endearing and funny. And I don't know why that is. I think is. it's because her after her initial shock, she gets over it and is fine with it. It's just she's shocked to see something non-humanoid. Yeah, maybe that's it. But um, so when she goes through it again, and I, I love I love the, the salt a bit with her, that <laughs> biped biped slap <laughs> just <laughs> biped wake up ah and they have their exchange and then these are tights and she runs off with them i don't know there's just a lot of little moments throughout this that i really enjoy i kind of like the cartoony aspect of the of the jellyfish and the mollusks i don't know why it, it just it was maybe because the previous ones with morbius were so dark that well, lightening it up a little bit was kind of like, all right. But here's know. another thing that I have a problem with that is because it doesn't quite gel with the end of this where everybody's wiped out. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's the beauty that, of it. That was another thing that I felt. Number one, this time bullet thing I think was kind of silly. I mean, conceptually, it seems like a good idea, but it they seem to be playing it very fast and loose and very comical, especially with the, the describing of it. And part of that's because of the delivery from Lucy. It's because she just she, she's given it to us on the very earth-based level of what it is. The time it's actually a temporal bullet, but you know, we keep calling it a time bullet at some point. And so her then shooting the doctor, that seemed odd. I can see that she's going to the extreme because she knows the time bullet, you know, could put him down. But then she doesn't necessarily have to kill him. So that was kind of weird to me as well. Not to mention she's by doing that she's almost. To the point where it's like, well, this thing's going to, we just got to let this, the planet take care of it. It felt very selfish that she pulled mm-hmm. the doctor and, mm-hmm. they, of course, the well, headhunter is helping. But too. yeah, and and it, that and then after that, the doctor has spent 600 years with this society and probably grown to know very, many, many generations of these people. And then at the end, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess we'll go save the Earth. It, it, it didn't seem like he expressed enough remorse for this essential genocide or wiping out of these species, at least on this planet. That 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 that, it, that didn't go over well with me, especially since for about two thirds of it, we are doing this cartoony kind of silly tongue in cheek stuff, and then suddenly we're wiping all of them out, and we're being a little bit okay with that at the end. That was that was bothersome. I, the the tonal shift when we got. Really, once the um, Moloscari arrive on Orbis, and it takes that strange turn that these are rather cartoon character bad guys that then begin to purposely terrorize the jellyfish so they can eat them. That's that for me was really kind of the first ooh yeah this this turned dark, and it should have angered me to that we went from one extreme to the other. I don't know why I feel it works. Um, I just, it, it does. I think it's maybe that the Galaxy Quest analogy where she goes, oh, look, they're so cute. And <laughs> Sam Rockwell goes, have you even watched the show? They're going to be horrible. 
something about that I think is be it's it's so cartoony, it's so over the top that when it does rear its head and the fangs come out, it's kind of like aha, there it is. I don't know, um, but I, I thought that worked. But it did get steadily darker and steadily more uh, upsetting. I mean, when the, the the sound design of the screaming on the beach as this feeding oh, frenzy yeah. is happening, it was just it was very unsettling for me. And then to find out that the doctor screws up. That to me was huge. I don't know because I've talked before about how the doctor comes in and he saves the day, and sometimes it's through luck, and sometimes it's through, you know, because he is smarter and more clever than everybody else, and sometimes it's through uh, just sheer boredom <laughs> that he's just <laughs> going to talk the enemy out of whatever they're going to do because that's what he does. And so putting the doctor in this amnesia state where some things he remembers and some things he doesn't. And having him activate this manipulator and then realize what it's doing and that he is to fault for wiping out not only generations and generations of these one species that he's very friendly with, but the bullies. And that they really don't have any other choice but to leave or stay there and die. And he's willing. He's willing to stay. And then Lucy shoots him to get him out of there. I, it was, I don't know, it was very effective for me. I, I liked the fact that this is a side of the Doctor that we don't get to see very often. We don't get to see his failures. They don't often get paraded out in front of us. And it usually is a huge tragedy. It usually is the death of a companion like Adric. Or, you know, something of that kind of epic nature. And I kind of feel like they really took an interesting tact on... Yes, we saved the galaxy and the universe as we know it, and you defeated Morbius in this epic story that we had no way of knowing what was going to happen. And then you served up this very light piece of fluff afterwards and then hit me with a hammer. And there was something about that roller coaster ride that just really appealed to. Because you can't, I mean, where do you go from Morbius? Those two stories were so good. Oh, it's just yeah. where could you possibly go? Well, we go somewhere you don't expect well, to go, and then you come around and bam, hit me with this. I'm I like, don't think oh, it had wow. to be something as like insanely cool as the Morbius stories, <laughs> but it, it, from going from one extreme to the other, I think it it should have been a little, little, uh, more of a slight slope than such a steep slope. I think Ordinarily, I would agree with you. I would totally be right there with you. I don't know why this and one I spoke think, to me this way. I think that I would have been okay with the way that it ended had the doctor showed a little more remorse at the end i think there was almost too 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 many beats of dialogue after that with the oh so the earth needs saving okay let's go you know that was what bothered me the most about it because it seemed so it seemed like there was this horrible thing and he should have been more uh, remorseful for it happening even if it was the right thing for lucy to do to take him out of there he should have had a little in fact i wish they would have left it with him angry and then got over it the next episode. At least I had some time passage there, but it was he was just a little too flippant with the okay. Well, let's go off. And he's save he's your, a little more remorseful. Planet, he's so. a little more subdued, especially for the Eighth Doctor. This is much more. This is much less. The shoes so they fit perfectly. We're going to go back to Broding Divergent Doctor, I suppose. Um, I don't even want to say Divergent. The, the, I agree with you. I, I think that that last bit of dialogue is just a little bit too much, and it would have been better if they'd ended it there. I can let slip, having listened to him, that the memory loss and the, the the brooding, not quite so much the brooding, but he is a changed doctor 
through the rest of this through line. There's there's a reason for. But I'm okay with that. What, what too, happens in order? So there 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 is more coming that will kind of help fill in some of these things. And a lot of it is memory. A lot of it is that he's still uncertain of who he is as a person now. That he thinks he knows, but he's he's kind of rediscovering that. So the Eighth Doctor is the Amnesia Doctor. He, really he went is. through this in the <laughs> he went through this in, in the, the Eighth Doctor Adventures. He went through this in the Zagreus or the yeah, yeah. Zagreus period. He went through this in the Divergent Universe period. It's it's kind of his. Um, it's kind of his interesting medium. how he's kind of going through all of this and spent all that time on Orbis. And it's almost and knowing now that that he's kind of questioning who he is or he thinks he knows who he is that it's it's very similar to without a regeneration end of eleven into twelve it's just with, all yeah, in the is. same incarnation that's kind of interesting I look forward to exploring some of that then yeah I I I, I enjoyed the run and I, like I said maybe it was just I don't have delts for the series I just think this this was a weak story this was a weak especially for a first story of the series. I would have expected a better outing than this. Mm. So, I'm but little, I, I, I still little, have I'm I still have bummed. faith. You didn't like it. I still have <laughs> faith in the story. I still have faith in the in the, the season. Well, what's funny is having listened to it before, and I, I went back and re-listened to it today while we were on the road. And as I was listening to it, I was kind of calling back up all the oh yeah, this is why I liked this story so much. It was just fun. And I bit into it again. And then we got to the end. And I remembered that Orbis had a downer ending, but I couldn't remember exactly why it was a downer of an ending. And then when the Stellar Manipulator came back, and then the oceans boiled, and then everybody, I was like, oh yeah, that's why this was a downer <laughs> ending. Because he's the one that causes it. And um, I sat in silence in the car for a little bit. on the, and, and Mel was like, wow, that kind of sucked. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. And she goes, I think I liked it. I'm like, yeah, I know I liked it. I just, I don't remember it being that heavy, but it is. And I think that's why I like it. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a strange one for me to like because, I mean, you, you guys know me. This is, this should be one of those that I should be railing against going, no, they missed it. And this is, I just like this one. I wish I could put it well, into better uh, words part as of to it, part of as it is to why your love of the Eighth Doctor. Well, and that's yeah, it too. Yeah. Paul McGann I, is so good. I notice as but... we do Eighth Doctor series, you rarely have a bad thing to say about. Him. <laughs> <laughs> rarely. No, I, I like to think that I'm fair. I like to. I, I was not I fond you, of the I Divergent think you Universe. Are fa- well, Paul's no, always great. No, no, I mean, in, especially in the Eighth Doctor Adventures. The Eighth Doctor right. Adventures are a little easier to like, and I, I, maybe it's because they're easily digestible. I like the hour-long format. I've said that before. But you have anything to do with storytelling? I like Lucy, which is you know an added bonus. I really thought um, Cressostria um, is played by Andrew Sachs, which apparently was on. Uh, he was on uh, Faulty Towers. I'm listening to this, and I'm going. And Mel said it right about the time I was thinking, because I kept thinking, "Why wow, this guy sounds familiar?" She goes, "Is, is this the guy from uh, Total Recall that plays the, the 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 one agent?" And I, I can picture him now. I can't think of his name, but he's kind of the little balding, uh, heavier set guy. And I went, "Oh yeah, I think it is." So she went and looked it up. And I was like. I don't know who this guy is. It's not him. And I went, oh. <laughs> oh. Well, never mind then. <laughs> I thought it was Nibiru Shaban. I thought they were like doing a Sil oh, doing species Sil. story initially before I realized that they Malaskari or whatever they were. Yeah, it had that voice effect on it at first, and that's why I wondered if it was their species. But That would have been kind of cool, actually. Yeah. That would have been a good good use of it. Yeah, I don't... It's, I, I just like it. I, <laughs> that's a horrible reason to review something. You go, <laughs> I just did. But um, I don't know. It speaks to me in some way that, and, and there and there are Eighth Doctor stories that don't. 
I will, I will, I will tip my hat. There are a couple coming up this season that I'm not a big fan of, hmm. but um, this one I just like. I don't know something about Orbis, something about the an ocean planet that goes wrong. I don't know. I like it. I'm sorry you guys were a little bummed out and didn't like it. I'm bummed that you guys didn't like it. I was, I'm, I'm more in the middle of the road than anything else. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't fantastic. I should have known I was in trouble as much as you guys liked the last two. I should have known. <laughs> I should have known coming this week. It's like, they're, yeah, they're not going to like the turn. <laughs> so should we move on to the graphic novel? Yeah, let's move on to the graphic Ninth novel. Doctor, Volume or 2. Graphic novel. I thought we were reviewing issues of the comic series. Also gathered together in Volume <laughs> 2, Doctor Mania. Yes, we had the... Uh, we had the graphic novel, so we 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 read the collected version. The doctor takes the spot. The ninth doctor takes the spotlight for an all new adventure with fan favorites Rose Tyler and Captain Jack Tarkness. The ongoing and unseen tales of this beloved trio. Bum bum bum. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, this was okay. Please, I didn't. I didn't give this. me that look again. No, no. I don't I, know. There was Slovene. I'm know. getting the stink no. eye over <laughs> here. Um, this is how you do Slovene. Yeah, this is how you do Slovene. This was this was a much better usage. I think probably because there wasn't a fart joke on the whole pay, on the whole book. But yeah, the fact that, that, that they figured out how to do the compression field correctly. Right, right. <laughs> they could actually go into skinny bodies. Um, I was a little worried about this at first because you know I don't really like meta stories and Doctor Who that much. You know, I kind of I. Poo-pooed the one with uh, from by Chris Cornell, not Chris Cornell, yeah, Paul Cornell, Paul Cornell, um, <laughs> Chris Cornell. That would have been a whole different book <laughs> <laughs> that they did at the end of the uh, uh, Matt Smith era. The IDW, the IDW I run. I think that there was a um, set recently oh, about the, the, the ones. ones that traveled with him that were the art comic artists too. That I yeah, and that with, but. line where they where they readed the boneless in the comic book so you weren't a big fan of yes yes so when they get a little meta with it i i i'm not a fan of that i just don't i I don't think those stories work well i think they're self-serving but this one starts to look that way and then goes a completely different direction and it works really really well um i thought putting the who to mobile in there was a bit contrived but it it was fine (laughs) Um, I did really like the fact that this this uh, uh, Slovene got the Chumleys way wrong. <laughs> yeah. Which did I saw anybody it. else squee just a little bit? I didn't because when I saw them, I was like, that's not a Chumley. <laughs> so. At first, I thought they were trying to do an update to the Chumleys. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. That's just... Leave them as they are. Yeah, no, I, I and saw then I, them. And then I, I got thought, to the point where they're like, oh, those are wrong. Like, actually, yeah, they are. I, my first inclination was, oh, what have they done to Chumleys? And then it was when they said they're not Chumleys. And I was like, okay, good. They're not going <laughs> to actually be Chumleys. I was actually quite all right with it then. I liked that the doctor was so very adamant about it, too. Mm. It's <laughs> not them. That's not what they look like. That's not how they do it. No, <laughs> they're not Chumleys. <laughs> I saw that thing with the chumblies. They're not chumblies. I like, yeah, I don't. I, I like, I especially liked the the way it introduce it gets us into the main story of what's going on with the Slavine and them trying to having to go back and everything with the hunts. I really enjoyed. Kind of going back to the home world was kind of nice to see the different variations of the of the species and the different planets. The Raxus Alliance. Yes. Yeah. What starts is just an absolute bonkers farce and then the Slitheen show up and you're like oh <laughs> you know can <laughs> yeah. but they, they managed to justify everything that they did early and turn it into a, a, a very glowing positive as as it goes on to the end 
It's good use of the um, Slitheen's uh, weapon systems as well within their their biological weapons with by using the the breath on uh, Rose to incapacitate her. Also yeah. uh, referring to the dart, the poison dart, and her saying, "Did you know that they have this?" <laughs> I mean, it's, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, also gives a little bit of credence as to why the ninth doctor knows so much about them by the time we get to Boomtown, too. Mm-hmm. I thought that worked out really well. So, and of course, spotting uh, some at least one bad wolf reference was nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They, I I, I kind of like that they they are spreading these in since we are specifically putting those in the Ninth Doctor era when he's traveling with Rose and Jack and that specifically right before Boomtown right too. so that works out really well I think I liked Rose trying to use the psychic paper to convince the guard she was Lois Lane yeah <laughs> it's got her in the door yep and then when she tried to convince the uh, fake Doctor that she was with the Daily Bugle he said oh I recognize psychic paper. The only character I kind of feel is kind of left behind in all of it is kind of Jack. I don't feel like he gets quite enough to do. Especially like, like they have a dealing two... with the setup of his memories. Yeah, it's like a two companion story, or a, uh, it's a it's a two. It's like they're not used to writing for three companions yet. It feels like they're writing strong for the Doctor. They're writing strong for Rose, and Jack's just kind of left there to kind of be the Doctor's companion while Rose is off doctoring. I sort of think that they're going to get there, though, because I think they first, first of all, what you do is you, when you have to put this in a certain time period in the first series in order to fit, they're obviously they got saddled with Jack because of that. That being said, I think what they're doing I is think they, they probably could have chose a time before Jack to have just Rose if they wanted. They could have easily found the time in that season to fit that in. I felt that this was the only place because. Everything goes into each other. I don't think it does. Not I'm, with Jack. With Jack, yes, but not with with without Jack. I think you have wiggle, a lot of wiggle I, I, around. I, Rose and into the world. I'll have to look because there because there's somebody novels. somebody talked about this. Well, almost all the novels have Jack in them too. Oh, do they? Yeah, that and that's why they have to do it because there is only. I think there is from up until they meet Jack. There's reference back to immediate events. If I remember this right, based on the novel's discussion and why Jack's in every novel, because the same thing happened with Jack. They a lot of authors would sideline Jack. In fact, in the Stone Lo- Rose, he's very much sidelined because he's in the future with uh, Neanderthal no, boy. Uh, that's a different book, but it's I know being you're not Stone Rose, being, being human. human. Yes, being thank human, you. Yeah. Uh, is is yeah, yeah yeah with Neanderthal boy. Um, so. There, I, and again, I'm going on memory of where I read this, but there somehow they, all of the, the stories are linked up until just prior to Boomtown. And that's where everybody felt like they could fit in. That's why we talked about how clever they were with that one Ninth Doctor story in Destiny of the Doctors where they chose between oh. <laughs> the fact that he left Rose and came back in the yeah, very first yeah. episode that he had that adventure there. So, um, yeah, that's that's very much why they're doing this and i think back to what i was saying i think that they're going to choose to sideline jack for certain stories which obviously they've done for these first ones but they've laid the seed for his memory loss and i think that eventually you'll get a shift where i think rose might get some background time and jack will be brought to the front in order to I do think that so too, seems to be where the they'll line. go with that i kind of hope so i do too a little bit because while i thought 
overall these were, were, were fun and enjoyable and you know kind of just what I want out of a Doctor Who comic I want something especially a ninth Doctor comic yeah I, I want something fun I want a, a, a fun read and uh, I don't necessarily expect anything too challenging but I do expect you to get the voice right I want to be able to read these characters and hear these characters and I think the ninth Doctor sounds like the ninth Doctor I think Jack sounds like that I think Rose sounds like Rose Probably to her detriment, because <laughs> reading these, especially in the later, the the superhero one, Rose is doing what Rose would do. She's saying things what Rose would say. She's acting like Rose would act. And I realized how much I really am coming down on. I don't like Rose anymore. And it's just really kind of, yeah, well, <laughs> it's you, still there. You've never liked Rose, so we didn't well, no, expect I liked, it. I liked Rose originally, but the more I go back and rewatch Rose, the more I'm like, eh, I just. See, I didn't, I've, I, I've soured on her a lot from when she first showed up. See, I didn't have as much issue with her in these. Maybe because I like her and Nine together so much that it's her and Ten that I don't tend to like. Maybe that's why I don't have as much of an issue with Rose throughout these comics. See, I thought she was okay in this one, but later in well, the... Well, the, the next one, she does some really stupid things. Yeah, so. <laughs> but maybe it was just that one. But like I said, I thought the, the voice overall but to was, be was said, really that well done. She, I guess... Yeah, she does that throughout. She does stupid things throughout her run, entire run. So, I sort of like the twist in the Celine story, where it ends up being the one that's sort of the one that seems to be brokering peace and trying to make sure that the conference goes on and that they've eradicated the the bad seed of Celine that have, that have been out there, only to turn around and find out that it's her that's in in. Uh, I say her. It might be him. I don't know. What was her name? I can't remember. Mara. Start with an M. Anyway, the blue, the blue yeah. Silabine-looking thing. Um, I thought I liked that. I thought that was a neat twist. The fact that the the rain had been tampered with in order to uh, create the solution that would uh, burn and, and and dissolve the Silabine. That's pretty. And, and, and I like the fact that the Silabine that we had. Glada, Glada. That was Met throughout the entire kind of has this growth and real, realization about Rose, and I liked all of her storyline. I liked all, yeah, yeah. I liked Slist's storyline. I, did, I did feel that the ending was a bit cheap. Like they get up there into the space station or the weather station, and then they show back up, and it's like, how'd you get here so quickly? Time travel. Well, okay, so you solved the issue off camera uh, with time travel. Okay. It feels like a quick way to wrap up a story that they didn't I quite agree. know how to finish, but it's a comic, so I'll also let it go. <laughs> I'm a bit more forgiving on that sort of thing because I know there are a limited number of pages you can you have to work with. It's unfortunate too because it was going so strong up until that point. It was really, it, it felt like it was paced well. It was moving at a good clip. You know, the Doctor rides a dinosaur. It could have easily, <laughs> they could have easily taken a couple, an extra, got rid of the dinosaur romance thing at the very end of them getting back in the TARDIS to expound on how they solved the issue. Yeah, I'd have been okay with that. I don't know. What did you guys think of the superhero one? Uh, I liked it a little better, um, just from the standpoint of there was a lot of squee in this one. <laughs> I like the fact with, that with Mickey and Martha, and and, and that was kind of cool that Mickey turns up and automatically my brain's going to okay this is much later mickey mm-hmm. and he cannot meet up with uh jack or 
Rose. I, I this guy, and I liked. It. In fact, I liked the the idea that he's trying to reach out to the doctor, realizes he's got the wrong version, and then he so he's trying to shut it down and go, no, 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 go away. You're not the one I wanted. Yeah. Because knowing that it's early enough in the doctor's timeline that it could mess things up, uh, knowing that Mickey now is is well experienced in this kind of thing kind of helps as well. I do like that Mickey and. Rose and Jack never see each other, which works out really well, with the exception of Rose thinking she got a glimpse of Mickey and the doctor playing mm-hmm. like, here. And oh, there's no, absolutely no way that could have happened, you know. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. And the fact that, and the reveal that, the, that that Martha has been the one that was has been converted to one of the gargoyles. Yeah, which uh, completely avoids that issue of the doctor meeting Martha right. before he's supposed to. Because he doesn't even know that this Mickey is married to a future companion at all. Right. Yeah. Right. Tiny little squee moment where one of the monsters in the uh, Mickey flashbacks was a weevil. Yeah. I thought that was cool. I I like the concept, too, of this interstellar uh, (laughs) punch-through tunnel, punch tunnel, um, causing, you know, it's something that no one would suspect or even see because it's kind of trans-dimensional kind of thing, way to travel, kind of a sloppy way to travel, but, you know, they've punched it through the earth. It's gone through San Francisco, and it's bleeding residual uh, energy that is causing these lights. That's also then changing the uh, the people of San Francisco, or at least this crew here so far. Yeah, um, I like the concept of they don't like these gargoyles because these gargoyles started showing up at about the same time their friends would disappear, and so they have this issue with them. And that's the that was the neat, neat thing at the beginning is you think Mickey's there to rescue the couple from the gargoyle and he's, <laughs> and he's there to stop the couple from attacking the gargoyle yeah. and finding out later that there's a reason for this but kind of the audience or the reader learns a lot sooner than of course anybody in this book that the gargoyles the reason why they show up and people disappear is because they're the same one they're the same people they've just you know advanced in this mutation i thought that was kind of neat I think at the end it gets a little sloppy in the fact that what's his name kind of shows back up again, and the doctor's like, "Oh, of course you're on the, you know, uh, you're behind this, trying to make a buck thing." I I kind of agree with you. Rose very much defaults to first series Rose when she joins up with these people. Uh, I thought she was really strong in the first one, especially sticking up for uh, Sil. Yeah. And then in this one, it's like, oh, gonna run off because I can fly and I see a handsome boy. I just that that was it's a little, a, you yeah. know, he's a pretty boy. Oh, I fell off a building. Yeah. Oh, I can fly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I I do like everything that, about Rose in this particular story annoyed me. I do like that the <laughs> that agree. she's being affected and Jack's not, and Jack does genuinely seem to be doing his darndest to try to watch out for her and keep yeah. up with her. Um, unfortunately, he should never have let her walk out of the TARDIS in the first place. That was the major flaw <laughs> right there. Yep. But um, on her own anyway. But at least he follows her to be able to be sure to help. And and does catch up with the doctor in order to try to, you know, say, hey, Rose is in trouble. We've got to figure this out. So He doesn't feel so much sidelined in this one as he does just ineffectual in this one. Yeah, yes, very ineffectual. Because <laughs> he seems to be there all the time and he seems to be trying but he's ineffective. Did well, you guys catch the uh, reference to the movie? There, there's a reference. In, I can't remember where it's at, but there's a reference in here somewhere of a previous San Francisco activity. Oh, oh yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't catch that one. <laughs> yeah. It's very subtle. <laughs> very Well, subtle. that's where my brain went initially when he first discovers, you know, 
why, why is it only happening in San Francisco? And he says something to the effect of, well, because it's, you know, it's not just an Aurora Borealis, it's a result of this. And pre, you know, I, I, that's where my brain went. And then I had to back off of that because they didn't really go any further with it. And I thought, well, maybe I'm reading way too much into that because of my love of the Eighth Doctor. I just read it as a reference to the movie because they then went on I'm to sure, I'm sure give us a different thing. Yeah. yeah. But, glom, glom, that's who it was. <laughs> Um, the problem with the, it, it, you, you mentioned Jack being sidelined is it's kind of the problem we get a lot with a crowded TARDIS where we have a story that they want to tell and it involves new character A and yeah. so one of the existing companions has to be locked up or that's kind of what they've done with Jack the only difference here in this story is that well it's old companion B. I mean, it's Mickey <laughs> that's kind of taking the place of Jack doing something in the story. And you're right, it's not so much in this one that Jack's written out. It's old companion B and C. Yeah, Martha, <laughs> oh, Martha too. too. Yeah. Um, it's just that... Um, I, I really like revisiting Mickey so far down the road. Well, and this is such a great Mickey. Yeah, it's so. It's, it's that Mickey we all grew to love by the end, anyway. Well, you know, we we so jokingly call him Mickey the idiot, but we well, all loved where he went with it. And so to bring him back and give him a shot at nine was kind of like, yeah, that was very satisfying in a way that I didn't know I needed. <laughs> it's also good in the the sense that we never the 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 really the really badass Mickey is that scene at the end when the tenth Doctor is going back and revisiting, and we see Mickey and Martha. We got a little bit of that, but now we know that they're like these, they're out there hunting down bad guys in it together as a team. Yeah. And so we don't get much more of that other than that glimpse. And this is almost a continuation of that, mm-hmm. which I thought was neat. Now, obviously, we're going to uh, revisit some of the storyline with the how it ended. I'm trying to go back now and find where the Brist- Bristol in happened. England sometime in the, in the 1970s or, or maybe, maybe 80s. 80s. Oh, with, the. With Harry and. Uh, Benton in the background. Okay, so I had a question about that. Do you think that that was done, or, or because it's a gargoyle, maybe I'm reading way too much into this. You're reading way too much into it. Okay. <laughs> I don't think it's trying to tie into an actual TV story. I think no, that's, that's where I, I was wondering. I don't, it was going. Yeah, I don't think so I don't either. think it's tying into the demons. But it seems Harry to wasn't me, there, so... It, yeah, and it does seem to me that... They are trying to link in a unit story here and a, and a, and a flashback story here that, that maybe they'll do something with this later. I don't even know if this is a tie-in to um, something we'll see later in the Ninth Doctor era. I almost wonder if maybe this was this is an attempt to do another Third Doctor miniseries oh, run or something be. and say, well, we've got this in holding. We can do something with it. So. Or even a Fourth Doctor one. Could be Fourth, yeah. yeah. Oh, I guess that's true because Harry would have been fourth doctor or right. fourth doctor right so. which is possible so we'll see what because we have had a fourth doctor miniseries but not a fourth doctor ongoing but it seems likely that that would be the next if, if they were going to do another classic yeah. one they would that do a might fourth be doctor the, one the, i would think yeah ongoing and obviously they had rights to harry because we got him in the fourth doctor miniseries it was a little squeeze moment though <laughs> yes <laughs> I'm looking forward to continuing on with the Ninth Doctor run. I think they've they've got the voices pretty good, and I've enjoyed the artwork throughout all of it, too. Stories have been pretty solid. I was a little upset about how they drew the Ninth Doctor in that first set, but then they explained why they drew him that way in the first set. I was like, oh, because it's not him. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Problem solved. (laughs) Moving right along. So you thought the real Ninth Doctor looked okay, but the fake Ninth Doctor didn't look all right? I thought the fake Ninth Doctor had a little more hair. Yeah, I think so. That was really the only difference I saw. Seemed to have a little more hair. 
little longer here. Just slightly longer. All right. Between cuts, you know. (laughs) Bring on some more Ninth Doctor then. Yeah. So, Keith, what do we got coming up on the schedule? (laughs) Oh, for Friday Night Who this week is Planets of Giants. Some William Hartnell action. Uh, And then next week's podcast will be a couple of Companion Chronicles. We're jumping all the way to Season 3 for number 1, Here There Be Monsters. And number 7, The Transit of Venus. It's a little Ian and Susan action from Big Finish. And the new schedule is posted and goes all the way out to Time Eddie. Uh, So if you want to check out the website, you can find that information there. Cool. Of course, you can find us at TravelingTheVortex.com. While you're there, consider becoming a patron of the podcast. Uh, on the right side of this page, you'll see a button there that takes you to Patreon. And uh, you can support us by any amount. Uh, any amount is welcome. 100% of those donations go back right back in this podcast. Also, there are links on the other side uh, to other sites there. A portion of those proceeds go into the show, and you can purchase merchandise from our uh, podcast store. You can find all that on the website as well. Keith, how can they contact us? Right on our website. You can fill out the Send Us Feedback tab or send it directly to feedback at travelingthevortex.com. Also on our website, I believe we have links to all of our social media sites that you can go and follow us on and reach out to us that way. Excellent. Anything else we need to add this week, Sean? I don't believe so. All right. That's going to do it for this week. Until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. And I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.